What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. This is episode 251. Good to be uh, back with you folks this week. Uh, I've got plenty to get to this week. Uh, would like to um, extend a thank you to uh, Colin Casey for coming on the program last week. It was a nice uh, conversation we had on Guest Friday, so you can go check that out if you haven't listened already. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can listen to that. Um, you can also read some of my written content at Musket Fire. I wrote an article uh, last week, and I talk a little bit about that today, mostly about the uh, Patriots schedule, so we may talk about that a little bit later on in the program. Uh, looking forward to this week's guest Friday. We got uh, John Veneziano coming back on the program to talk some revs, so it'd be good to have him on the program, so that will be later this week uh, that we will have conversation with out on Friday. So looking forward to that. So I think we're going to start, um, you know, going to have to uh, start with the difficult stuff. You know, that's, I think, just where we're going to have to start today uh, with the Celtics um, and the Heat and, you know, where things stand after after three games in this series. And, you know, I think uh, just to most people, you know, the series may already be over. Um, and it's a pretty you know, depressing thing to think about, you know, as we were on this program one week ago, you know, talking about how the Celtics were able to impose their will on the Philadelphia 76ers and, you know, come back from a 3-2 deficit, go on the road, win an elimination game, and then just dominate in a game seven at home. Um, And it seems like that kind of has been the extent of the Celtics, you know, good times, I guess, recently in the playoffs as the Heat have taken um, all three of these uh, first couple of games of the conference finals and the, you know, Celtics are, are on the brink. And I know that on this program, we try to be as positive as we possibly can and try to, you know, see the brighter side of things. But um, it is really hard for me to have that mentality this morning um, when the Celtics, you know, dropped the first two games at the Garden, you know, close games and games that, you know, honestly, they should have had. And it seems like it's kind of a common refrain with this group over the last couple of years that, you know, they can't seem to make it easy on themselves, that they have to do things the hard way. And you know, didn't feel great coming into Miami for game three, but I think you thought, okay, series is changing, or the location of the series is changing, you know, the momentum may be different, you know, this is a game that the Celtics, you know, need to come out and play well early, you know, which they did, and they kind of played well for the first six minutes or so, um, and then, it all kind of just come came crashing down. Um, things just got worse and worse last night to the point that the Celtics, you know, pulled their starters in the fourth quarter um, down by, you know, close to 30 points. Um, you know, yeah, down by 30 points, you know, opening the 
fourth quarter last night, and, you know, just bad to worse, honestly. Um, and I think that it's hard to have a lot of confidence in this team uh, in the spot that the spot that they're in, you know, just based on the way that they played last night. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of just hard to believe that, you know, this is a team that, yes, time and time again, and they have always made things difficult for themselves, you know, as we've seen over the last two years, you know, but this was always a team that was able to, you know, when their backs were against the wall to come back and play a good brand of basketball, the brand of basketball that we know, you know, they did it in the first round with, you know, losing that game five against the Hawks and coming back and closing out the series, you know, falling down three games to two against the Sixers, you know, losing some games that they should have won, but then coming back to finish the series and win the series and you know it just I kind of am at a loss with this uh, series because you know this is a heat team that by many accounts is not as talented as the Celtics and the Celtics clearly the deeper team and I think a lot of people are talking about the you know three percent chance that the heat were given to win the series now i didn't believe that for a second you know i thought that was kind of you know wild to put that out there but the heat have just simply been the better team um and they've wanted it more and they're more motivated and i think it just doesn't make sense to a lot of us that this is a celtics team that you know claimed that it's you know this playoff run was unfinished business and, you know, claimed that this was going to be different, you know, that they were going to be able to, you know, get back to the finals. And perhaps maybe it was too much of an expectation to expect that, you know, and I think it's just simply that the Heat want it more, they're playing harder and you know, they have thought about last year's loss to the Celtics all year long. And they're, you know, so motivated and playing like this that they know that they kind of blew an opportunity to beat the Celtics last year in that game seven. And I think that they are truly back to finish the job. You know, they're the team that has the unfinished business. And I just think that the Celtics thought that this series was going to be easier. And it blows my mind that they would think that considering that you have played this team two of the last three years in the conference finals and both of the series have been rock fights and have been hard and have not been easy. This is not a team that's going to roll over and wilt like the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, and it's just, I kind of don't understand how this Celtics team does not have the motivation that the Heat does. And yes, you beat the Heat last year, but you were lucky to. You know, prove to everyone that you will beat them, you know, soundly this time around, that you will beat them without having to hope that Jimmy Butler misses a three-pointer in the last 30 seconds of a game. You know, and it just, I just, I don't know. I don't think that 
for whatever reason, I just don't know if this group is taking this series as seriously as they should, and they think that they can just get through this series and get to the finals, and, you know, we'll prove everyone wrong in the finals. Well, you have to get there first, and, you know, it's it's easy to sit here and put all the blame on Joe Missoula. He put a lot of blame on himself last night. I think that he kind of took most of the blame for that loss last night, and I think that, you, you know, he's not a perfect coach. He's 34 years old. He's a rookie head coach. He wasn't supposed to be in this position, you know, and he's kind of learning the job on the fly, and it's just like, I don't know what more you can expect from him. You know, I just, yes, a coach's job is to get the players motivated, and I understand that, but it's just like, I think that this group, they've been together for so long, they've gone through these postseason battles, do they really need a 34-year-old head coach to get in their heads and be like, you guys need to be motivated to play? They're professional athletes, they've been in this league for five, six years, longer, you know, for a guy like Marcus Smart. You know, this is not a time that you need to be looking to a coach to get motivated. You're in the Eastern Conference Finals for, for God's sake, like, you have to be able to motivate yourself, you know. And I know that Eric Spolstra and that Heat staff does a great job at building the confidence of some of those undrafted guys and some of those guys that play really hard. But it's like, do you really think Jimmy Butler needs to be motivated by a coach? Do you really think that Eric Spolstra has to get in his ear before every game and say, you know, you need to take over the game. No, I don't think so. He has that inherent, like, I'm going to prove every, I'm going to prove it to you. And for some reason in this series, the Celtics just have just been without that. And when the going gets tough, they can't make the, the right plays. And, you know, it just, it kind of just goes back to this mindset thing that, you have to have the mindset that you need to play harder than the opposing team. And what we saw last night is the Celtics, I think, expecting that the Heat were not going to play with the aggressiveness that they did. And the Celtics just being soft defensively and, you know, not playing the ball pressure, the the great ball pressure that they had in the Sixers series at times. And it's just... I don't know what a coach is supposed to do in that situation, you know, and it's just, if we really want to get into this and say, okay, they need to fire him, you're looking at hiring a fourth coach, or you're looking at having four coaches in four years, and it's just like, what is that really going to accomplish? You know, you want to go hire Monty Williams, you know, (laughs) you want to hire another coach? have to learn a whole new system, you know, like, I just, I don't know what that accomplishes. Now, if the Celtics want to bring in someone like Monty or someone like Frank Vogel to be a high-level assistant, I think that that's a good idea because I think with the Celtics having so few assistant coaches, and yeah, maybe this was a mistake by Brad Stevens to not, you know, bring in assistant coaches to replace Will Hardy to replace Damon Stoudemire. You know, I think that Joe maybe just has too much on his plate and needs to be able to have other experienced assistants that can help him. 
because after all, he's 34 years old. He's a rookie head coach. He's learning this job on the fly. And I mean, I just think that people that are saying that, you know, they're a championship team, they can't afford to, you know, wait on him to grow. Well, it's like, what choice do they have? You know, like, I just, I don't know what choice this team has other than to bring in some high-level assistance, experienced assistance. I think that that's what they'll do, and they should do. But it's just like, Joe's been put in such a bad, a bad position because of the actions of Ime Udoka. And I just, like, me personally, I have no time for people that are going to say things like, oh, well, they shouldn't have gotten rid of him. Totally separate issue, and it's just like, if you really want to get into it, you know, you should blame him for a lot of this. Because he chose to, you know, that he made the choice that he made, chose to put himself over the team and himself over the organization. And he's left this team and organization in the dust and in a really, really bad position. So I just, I think that, yes, there needs to be blame for the coaching staff, absolutely, but there needs to be blame on the guys that are playing for this team. And I'm starting to think that the issues with this team, they're player issues. And, you know, if it's a player issue, then that probably means that some people need to go. And I don't know who those people are. Is it, is it Grant Williams? You know, do you cho- whether or not you choose to bring him back? Is it Jalen Brown? Do you choose to, to trade him? Like, I don't really know what the what the magic fix is for this team, you know, and I think the alternative to that is you kind of just run it back with the same group and you hope that they can figure this out, you know, because it's just, you know, it's just, it's kind of the one of two paths. I think that it is simply what you, you choose to either run it back with a similar group, hire some high-level assistants, you know, you keep Jalen and Jason and you hope that they figure it out or, you know, you trade Jalen Brown. And I just, my, my concern with that is if you do indeed do that, who are you going to get that's going to adequately replace what he does and who he is as a player? Because we made all NBA second team. Who are you really going to find that's going to be, you know, as good you know, if not better, you're probably going to have to settle for someone that's, you know, a tier below Jalen. I don't know who that is, but it's just something needs to change with this team um, because clearly they're still making the same mistakes that they made in the bubble, the same mistakes that they made last year. And, you know, I think that you look at the Miami Heat and you look at that team that they're really not as talented, but they're connected. They play as a group. They play hard. And it's just all too often this team has, this Celtics team has issues of playing hard. And you can't teach that. You know, that's kind of the, the scary thing is a lot of these things are mindset things. A lot of these are playing with effort, playing hard. And it's just if we have now had three coaches that have had the same problems 
with closing games out. You know, having fourth quarter leads, not being able to close games out, to make things harder by losing games that they should win, extending playoff series when they should be finished way shorter. And it's just, I don't, I don't really know what they're supposed to do. You know, I think that, again, Joe has been put in such a crazy position that he has to learn this job on the fly. And, you know, I do think that while Brad Stevens has been, I think, fantastic, you know, running this Celtics team, I think the biggest mistake that he made was not replacing the assistants, you know. And I think that it's unfortunate that things have gone the way that they've gone in the last you know, whatever 18 months it is, you know, that the Celtics have lost a head coach and they've lost three assistant coaches. That Joe Missoula is now the head coach, is no longer an assistant. Damon Stoudemire is now the head coach at Georgia Tech. Will Hardy, you know, took the job in Utah. You know, that's a lot of loss on the coaching staff and they need to build that back up. But I also think that there needs to be some change with the players because this group, it's just, it's just not working, you know? And so I just think looking at the off season, I don't know what you do with Grant Williams, because I think certainly he's had some issues this season. And I think that him thinking or assuming that we're thinking that he can get $20 million on the open market per season. I don't know if teams are going to offer him with the way that he's looked this season. You know, so I don't know, did the Celtics bring him back? You know, do they get rid of Peyton Pritchard? I mean, I think those are two really players that I think they are going to have to make decisions on. And then as far as Jalen Brown, you know, what do the Celtics do? Did they decide to offer him the Supermax? Does Jalen take it? Does he not take it? You know, I think that personally, if he doesn't take it, the Celtics may be forced to trade him. You know, because they think that if that's the case, he and if he wants to test free agency, you know, I think you can't run the risk that you lose him for nothing. So, you know, but I think we talk about all this and talk about how this series has gone, you know, the worst way possible. Um, but there is still a game, there are still games to play. It's a 3 0 series deficit. I understand that for all intents and purposes. Last night was an elimination game, and, you know, no team has ever come back from this. But there are there is still a game to play. You know, and I think a lot of, you know, we all say that the fourth game is always the hardest game to win. And, you know, it's just, it almost seemed like last night was a type of game that is an elimination game, that... You know, you lose a game and the series is over. It's not over. The Heat still have to win one more. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say the Celtics have a great chance to win the series. You know, they probably won't win the series. But there's always that little sliver that, yeah, no NBA team in history has ever come back from this. There will be some team that does it at some point. Is it going to be the Celtics this year? You know, good chance, probably not, but, you know, all it starts with, all it starts with is one game, and, you know, we know how the Celtics are, 
when they faced elimination. You know, we saw it last round. They won two games in a row facing elimination. Yeah, this is a huge ask. This is the biggest ask, but I think this is a team that needs to come out and play with some pride in game four, at the very least. Um, because I think you go home and you lose game four, you lose it like you lost last night. You know, I just, you don't want to compound it by making it worse. You know, you want to try to at least play hard for this next game and not give up. You know, but it's just going to be interesting to see what happens because it felt like an elimination last night. Um, and it doesn't really feel like there's any chance, but, you know, who knows? You know, we've, I think for the longest time with our pro sports teams, we've seen crazy things happen. Um, and it does, it does feel like it's over. This does oddly feel like the 2004 Red Sox, just in the sense of going down 2-0 and then getting blown out in game three to the point that it was embarrassing. So, you know, do the Celtics have anything left? Did they just say, you know, F it and don't come out and play hard in game four? I would really hope not. I would hope that they at least try to play hard and at least try to make it interesting, try to show some fight like Grant Williams did in game two. And I know a lot of people are having issues with what he did and the way that he got in Jimmy Butler's face and motivated him and whatever. But, I mean, you got to be able to, I don't know, have some emotion that you're going to stand up to an opposing team. You know, and maybe it was too much. Maybe Grant went over the line. But I think that's the type of energy that the Celtics needed last night. And you, the Heat were celebrating. You know, they were showing you up. You know, Jimmy Butler with the timeout thing, pointing at Grant Williams. Max Struess got a, got a technical for taunting. It's like they're, they're making fun of you because what happened last night was pathetic. And I just, I, I didn't expect this from this team. You know, I would have thought that the issue, the, 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 the issues that they went through last year we're going to be something that they could learn from. But, you know, it's it's different circumstances. You've lost a lot of manpower on that bench, you know, for, for multiple reasons. And, you know, I just think that they have let themselves down. They as a collective, the coaching staff, the team, you know, have let all, uh, us as fans as let us down. Um, now, of course, there's still a game to play. You know, and how do the Celtics come out for this next game? You know, it's just going to be fascinating to see. Um, and if it is, you know, it, and they do go out game four or game five or whatever it is, you know, they're going to have to take a serious look in the mirror and really question themselves that are they really serious about winning because it sure didn't look like it last night it sure didn't look like a team that is serious about getting back to the place that they were last year and finishing the job it doesn't seem like they're as serious as they say that they are so you know we'll see what happens but
you know, it's, again, you know, it's hard to stay positive here uh, with, with those games. But, you know, we'll see what happens game four uh, tomorrow night at 8.30 in Miami. So I think we're going to move on. Going to get to another, uh, unfortunately, uh, disappointing Boston team that lost yesterday. However, uh, the Red Sox do seem to be turning a corner, it seems like, winning two of their last three series, taking two out of three from Seattle and from the Padres over the weekend. You know, that was following a losing six of seven, so the Red Sox have come back, have won four out of six, and will start a three-game series with the Angels um, in Anaheim or Los Angeles, whatever you want to call it tonight. Um, and luckily, Shohei Otani did pitch for the Angels yesterday, so he will not be pitching in this series against the Red Sox. You can breathe a sigh of relief that you won't have to face off against him. Uh, Tanner Houck gets the ball tonight. Brian Bayo tomorrow, and James Paxton back in the rotation will start on Wednesday. So a bad loss for the Red Sox yesterday. Uh, Corey Kluber with another really rough outing, and I think it's starting to be, you know, a huge problem. His starts um, really has not pitched well. You know, you look at the games that he's pitched this year, there's very few games that you feel like he pitched well in. You know, even the even the games that he's won, you don't necessarily feel great about. You know, I think has a couple outings where he pitched, you know, relatively deep into a game, you know, other than a six-inning, you know, five-hit, one-earned-run start against Baltimore um, about a month ago. He's really not been very good, you know, a 560 ERA in the month of May. Now, granted, the Red Sox pitching staff has been, you know, the ERAs have been, you know, kind of in the, in the, in the fives. So it's not like he's the only pitcher that has a bad ERA. But, you know, you have some of the starters, Chris Sale included, that have started to pitch well recently. You know, and Kluber just has continued to, you know, not be good. And I think there needs to start being, I think, some serious conversations about his role with the team and whether he has one. Um, you know, I think that clearly he's hurting the team. You know, I think with the poor starts that he's had, you know, stopping momentum that the Red Sox have had, and I think, you know, there needs to be a conversation about, you know, his role, again, his role with the team, and does he have one, and do the Red Sox make a decision? You know, it sounds like he is scheduled to pitch in Arizona next weekend, but I think he might be running out of time. Um, and I think what that means is, does he get put in the bullpen? Does he get like a phantom? You know, someone suggested, I think it was Peter Abraham in the Globe, that, you know, do they put uh, have him go on the injured list with a phantom issue? You know, do they outright release him like Arizona did with, or no, it wasn't Arizona, but someone released Madison Baumgartner I think actually it was Arizona, um, that they could just outright release him, you know, because I think 
you look at some of the other pitchers in this rotation who have had better starts as of late, and Kluber's really the only guy that hasn't been able to string together a couple consistent starts in a row. You know, Sale is now starting to pitch like the guy we expect him to be, and James Paxton has come into the rotation and has pitched excellent in the first two games that he's been in. Brian Bayo, I think, is starting to improve. You know, Hauk is going to be Hauk. He's going to be just okay. But I think that you look at that rotation, that it's been pretty solid. You know, if they're going to continue to roll with a, a six-man rotation or whatever they're going to do, you know, they have to make a decision. Um, because I think this is a team that is starting to play well. You know, I know they lost in San Diego yesterday, but this is a team that has won 21 of their last 34. You know, they're 21 and 13, which isn't set the world on fire great record, but when you look at the standings for most of Major League Baseball, there's very few teams that are, you know, eight games or 500. So it's like, this is a team that wants to continue the positive momentum, and you keep running into a pitcher that, you know, cannot pitch well, can't control, doesn't have good control, you know, gets himself in jams, can't get himself out of it, and, you know, it's costing the Red Sox games. So they're going to have to have, I think, a serious, you know, internal discussion about where to move next with him. Um, but I think the Red Sox have been, you know, pretty solid offensively, getting some big hits at big times. You know, it was really huge to get a couple wins against San Diego. You know, Valdez with a huge home run on Saturday night, which led the Red Sox to the win. You know, Sale was excellent again, which has been awesome to see him pitching at a high, the high clip. You know, I think pitching exactly the way that you would expect, you know, in the month of May, you know, we talk about Kluber, Sale has a 250-70 ERA in 21 innings. You know, I think really starting to improve, you know, he's pitched at least six innings in his last four starts. Um, and it's been excellent in all four. You know, I think that probably had his best start of the year against St. Louis last weekend. Unfortunately, the bullpen couldn't hold the game, but, you know, he was vintage sale, and I think was pretty pretty damn close to that, you know, Saturday in San Diego, you know, making the Padres look silly, you know, gave up the, the two home runs, but those were the only hits he gave up, so... You know, he's been pitching well, I think, offensively. The Red Sox have been able to get consistent hitting from guys all over the lineup. You know, Rafael Devers has started to improve with the batting average. You know, Yoshida has been a great, you know, offensive addition to this team. You know, Justin Turner starting to hit. Verdugo's been really consistent. Um, and Tristan Casas has started to hit the ball more consistently. Um, I think for the month of May, I know he's only hitting 180 for the season. Um, but in the month of May, you know, batting average is, is 255, which he was hitting 137 in April. So it is a pretty big improvement uh, from him. So he's starting to improve hitting. Um, you know, it's really have kind of started to run out of positive things to say about Jaron Duran and how good he has been. Um, you know, the Red Sox have really been getting lucky with some of the middle infielders that they've been plugging in. 
you know, Valdez has been really good. I think Pablo Reyes, who they got from Oakland, you know, had a great, you know, introduction to the Red Sox, had a couple of good games um, in that Seattle series. So, you know, I think offensively things are starting to come together. Um, you know, I think that Adam Duvall, I thought I had heard that he might be starting, you know, doing some type of workouts that he's targeting a date in June that he might be able to come back. So, you know, if he can come back into the lineup, that'll be excellent. The Red Sox have been getting some good play from uh, Ref Snyder and Tapia, both kind of, you know, extra outfielders at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, you just want that pitching to be a little bit more consistent, which I think it has been recently. You know, Sale has improved. You know, Hauk is going to be Hauk. Um, but I think Brian Bayo has started to pitch better. Um, three and one with a 4.45 ERA, so that ERA is starting to come down. You know, Kenley Jansen has kind of improved a little bit, but or improved more from the bad weekend he had last weekend. Um, but James Paxton really has been a revelation in his first two starts with you know 2.45 ERA in both of his starts. So. You know, you hope that he can kind of be more of kind of a front-of-the-rotation guy if he continues uh, to pitch that well. But, you know, this is a Red Sox team that continues to surprise. You know, 26-21, and 21, a little bit better than I think people would expect. But, you know, they're staying right there in the playoff chase. So, you know, you hope that that can continue uh, with the Red Sox, um, you know, having this weekend series against... Los Angeles, um, you know, yes, Trout and Otani have been very good. Um, the Angels have actually been a pretty good team this year, 25 and 23, a little bit worse than the Red Sox. So, you know, this will be a big series. Red Sox are on the road, you know, in L.A. for these three, in Arizona for the next three. You know, two teams that I think have overachieved a little bit in the early part of the year. So it'll be important for the Red Sox to continue to you know, play well, stay in that playoff contention um, before they, you know, come home for the end of May into June. But I think that considering looking at the Red Sox schedule and kind of how difficult it's been, the Red Sox are kind of holding their own, you know, which is great to see. You know, um, if you go back to when they were a 500 team, 14 and 14, since then the Red Sox are 12 and 7. You know, so improving ever so slightly, um, they kind of seem to be back on track, winning for their last five, if you include the Seattle, or if you exclude the Seattle loss last Monday. You know, Red Sox are, have won four out of five going into this Los Angeles series. You know, so we'll see, we'll see how they do. You know, I think that I'm pretty confident in their, some of their pitching that's improved. Um, but it would be fascinating to see, you know, what the decision is with Kluber. And I think he's not going to do himself any favors if he pitches poorly um, next weekend in Arizona. You know, I think the Red Sox may just have to be forced to pull him from the rotation, you know, as they did with Nick Pavetta. So we'll see what happens. But Red Sox, Angels tonight, 938 start. Tanner Houck gets the ball for the Sox. So I think... 
we're going to move on. I do admit that this week's pod may be a little bit shorter than others, you know, with very little, um, if any, Bruins and Patriots stuff to get to. Um, But I thought it did make sense, as I had written um, an article about the Patriots schedule last week um, for Musket Fire, just, you know, talking about how the schedule may not actually be, you know, that difficult. I think just based on the fact that, you know, teams change a lot from year to year, and I think it's not always, it's not always, teams' improvements are not always, they don't always carry out to the field. Um, And I think specifically with the Jets, you know, that a lot of people are saying that, you know, this Jets team is going to be, you know, so much better. But I think, as I stated in my article, you know, you looked at a couple teams from the AFC West last year that supposedly got so much better, you know, with the Broncos getting Russell Wilson and the Raiders getting Devontae Adams. They didn't really get better. You know, both of those teams miss the playoffs. And I know that that might be, you know, putting it simply that they may have had other issues, but I think the the, the point is a sexy offseason move doesn't necessarily translate, you know, and I think that, yes, the Patriots do have a difficult schedule. I think you look at week one to week 17, you know, starting with the Eagles, but, you know, I think that for whatever reason, year to year, teams are not always the same. And so, you know, could the Patriots be a 10-win team? Could they be an 11-win team? I think that that's possible. Could they even beat the Eagles week one? I think that that's possible. You know, week one's crazy. You know, week one games are sometimes weird. You know, they sometimes are not indicative of a team's success or non-success. But I think with the Patriots starting at home, against a couple of, you know, decent opponents, you know, it may force them to get ready to play. But I just think, you know, people looking at their schedule and being like, oh, it's a hard schedule, you know, at first glance it might be. But again, you know, schedules are based on teams' records from a year ago. You know, so it's like, of course, the Eagles are going to be, the Eagles and the Chiefs are going to skew that schedule and make it look way harder because they were the top two teams in the league and won, you know, was it 14, 15 games? So it's like that's going to be skewed. Patriots playing the Bills twice, you know, it's going to be skewed that way. So, you know, yeah, it is challenging, but I do think that the Patriots have gotten better, you know, despite some people thinking that they didn't make sexy enough moves for the offense, which... I think is honestly kind of ridiculous, but this is a team that's improved. You know, they've brought in, you know, some improved, they've made improvements to the coaching staff. They brought in some new guys that I think really could be big time performers, you know, with Gesicki, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Robinson. You know, adding to Ramondre Stevenson, Hunter Henry, you know, some of the pieces the Patriots already have. So, I think that don't get overwhelmed by the Patriots schedule is, you know, what I would say that I think, you know, this is not going to be the same Patriots team from last year. You know, I feel pretty confident in saying that, that they are going to be, you know, a competent offense. 
that, you know, hopefully they don't shoot themselves in the foot late in games, but I think that they're going to be able to do a little bit more on offense with a experienced offensive coordinator. So, you know, it may be challenging, but this is a Patriots team that with all their flaws last year, they came within one win of going to the playoffs. And it's like, if they've improved the coaching staff, brought in some new players, I think they can at least be one game better than they were last year, if not two, if not three. And, you know, you look at the Patriots and the games that they played last year. If two of those games go the other direction, the Cincinnati game and the Vegas game, if those two games go the other direction and the Patriots win, you know, they're sitting at 10-7. and seven. So it's just like, I do think that this team will be better than last year's team, even with the schedule being, you know, hard, I guess. Um, but I think, you know, looking at some of the things that have been going around social media that, you know, Mac Jones is, you know, really excited about the change and, um, you know, it, approaching these off-season workouts with urgency and, you know, having that excitement that, you know, it's a new season, we can improve, and, you know, I think I think that this is going to be a very good team next year. Um, now, just some other Patriots stuff. Patriots did come to terms with rookie free agent uh, Justice Tavai, who is a defensive lineman uh, from San Diego State, also happens to be uh, Jelani Tavai's younger brother, so... Patriots will have a couple of Tavais on their roster next season. Uh, Patriots also released Yadni Kajust last week, which means now every member of the 2019 draft class is no longer with the team. You know, you can make with that statement what, what you would like, but, you know, I do think that, yes, it does kind of reflect poorly on the Patriots, but I do think the last couple of years in the draft, the Patriots have done pretty well, so... You know, and I think it's just, I don't want to say it's a coincidence because that's the wrong thing to say, but I do think that, you know, yeah, some of the guys they got didn't exactly translate to the team that the way, the way that they thought, you know, and aren't with the team for whatever reason. It doesn't need to be like, oh, it's a failure of a draft class because, you know, all these guys aren't still with the team. I don't think it's that simple, you know, but that's kind of reflect a little bit poorly with the team. So Patriots continue to have off-season workouts. I think that the mandatory minicamp is in a couple weeks. Pretty sure it's at some point in June. Um, but yeah, for any of those dates, we'll keep you folks updated as we are approaching about two months until uh, training camp. So I think that's going to do it for a quick Patriots thought. I think I'm going to get to a quick Bruins thought before we go into uh, talking about the revolution. It was announced last week, actually it was hours after we stopped recording. Uh, this is from Ty Anderson that the Bruins will hold their annual development camp July 3rd through July 7th, so week of the week of July 4th. Um, I'm thinking that I will make an appearance at least on one of those days, um, so that will be an exciting thing. Um, they held they hold it every year at Warrior Ice Arena, free to the public. So if you're interested in in the area, you know you can watch 
some of the Bruins uh, prospects unsure about who's going to be there. Um, obviously, when the dates get, when the time gets closer, it's sure that there'll be announcements about which players will be there, what the schedule is going to be. But that's always a, a fun thing for the Bruins off season. Yes, I know that this, you know, Bruins season did not turn out the way that we thought. Um, you know, I think we all assumed that they'd still be playing hockey at this point. But yeah, the off season's here and the development camp is kind of the start to the next season after the draft. So looking forward to that in July. So I think I'm going to get back to the revolution. A tough weekend for the Revs, a loss to the Philadelphia Union, 3-0. So the Revs have lost back-to-back -back games uh, for the first time this season. They've actually lost three games in a row, if you include the U.S. Open Cup loss to Pittsburgh a week and a half ago. So uh, things are a little bit difficult for the Revs right now. I've had some injury issues. Carlos Heel had to leave uh, the Philadelphia game with an injury. Obviously, the Revs are without Dylan Barrero. Gustavo Bo is not, not with the team currently, I think still rehabbing uh, an injury. So, you know, the Revs are kind of in a tough spot right now. You know, some health is not where it needs to be. So, you know, I think it's going to be a interesting couple weeks. Looking forward to talking to John Veneziano later this week. We'll talk more about the Revs. Um, but it just seems like it's been a struggle for the Revs uh, to score goals recently. You know, lost to Miami and then lost to Philadelphia really had, you know, nothing going for them offensively in Philadelphia. You know, the, all three goals for the Union came in the second half um, as the Revs just had issues defensively um, and just couldn't really find much in terms of offense. You know, had eight shots, but none of them on goal. Philadelphia had seven shots on goal, 17 overall, so really was kind of a one-sided game. So, you know, hope the Revolution can get a little bit healthy, you know, can come back home, which will be home this Saturday against the Chicago Fire. Not a very good team. So hopefully the Revs can get some points out of that game. And then the Revs do have um, a game next Wednesday against Atlanta FC. So the Revs will be busy over the next couple of weeks with uh, a game during the week and then games every weekend in June. Three of those games are at home, so the Reds will have four of their next six at Gillette Stadium, so they'll return home, so hopefully some home cooking there. I don't want to spend too much time on the Reds because I do want to be able to talk some of that with John later this week on Guest Friday. So that's what we're going to do. We'll talk more about the Reds later this week. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs. Obviously, we've I think exhausted all the Celtics talk for this week. Um, the other series, the Western Conference Finals, uh, Game 4 is tonight, Nuggets and Lakers, and the Nuggets are also uh, on the brink of eliminating the Lakers as they lead the series three games to none. Um, really just think Denver has been the best, most consistent team in this year's playoffs. I think that they're playing at the highest level that they've played at that I've ever seen them play. You know, Jokic and Murray are great, but they have so much, you know, depth, so many other guys that are playing great. So 
Um, it will certainly yeah, be interesting to see how the Nuggets do game four tonight. You know, see if the Lakers have anything left uh, that is in L.A. tonight so the Nuggets can advance to the NBA Finals for the first time in their career. First time in their history. Uh, game four is tonight at 8.30 on ESPN. And I think that's all for the NBA. I don't think there's any more, you know, news. There's not been anything about the uh, John Morant situation that we talked about last week. Um, oh, the NBA lottery happened last week. Completely forgot about that. So the uh, San Antonio Spurs winning the lottery, getting the first chance to select Victor Wembenyama at number one, Hornets picking at number two, Blazers at three, Rockets at four, and the Pistons at five. The Celtics do not have a first-round pick this year, uh, but do have a second-round pick, 35th overall. Is a second round pick, so be interesting to see what the Celtics do. But when Binyama most likely going number one uh, to the Spurs, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how he fits into that team. What do the other teams do? Do we see any trades? I do think there's been some stuff floated around with uh, Portland with that number three pick. Do they potentially trade it? Um, I think that's the only rumblings that I've heard in terms of. You know, trading a top draft pick. Um, other than Wembenyama, some of the other top prospects, Brandon Miller, uh, Scoot Henderson, uh, the Thompson Twins, Amen and Osar, and Cam Whitmore from Villanova, Anthony Black from Arkansas, Grady Dick from Kansas, just some other names. So I think that's probably going to be it for the NBA. Move over to the NHL with... Uh, both the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers up two games to none in the conference final series, respectively, with Vegas winning yesterday in overtime, actually all four of the games in the conference final so far have gone to overtime. Vegas winning both at home, winning yesterday 3-2, to two, coming back with a late goal in the third period, and then winning it early in overtime. So Vegas is now up two games to none, halfway to uh, winning the Western Conference. And the Panthers are up two games to none on the Hurricanes as that series shifts to Florida tonight. Um, as the Panthers winning the first game in four overtimes, which was the sixth longest game in NHL history. Um, and then winning in game two in overtime only going the single overtime, if you can believe it. <laughs> Matt Kachuk getting the winning goals in both of those games. Uh, Chandler Stevenson, the winner for Vegas last last game, or yesterday. Brett Howden scored in the first game in overtime. So both teams, you know, halfway to the Stanley Cup final, yeah, or halfway to winning the conference in these series. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, Carolina responds on the road tonight trying to make this a series. It just does seem like Florida's kind of just been that team of destiny where, you know, they're getting the good enough goaltending. You know, Bobrovsky's not always been the best playoff goalie, but, you know, making the saves when it counts. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for 
the run that they've been on, you know, because I think I don't want to bring up an old, an old wound, but, you know, he doesn't make that save in game five on Marshan's breakaway. You know, that series is over. And, you know, chances are the Bruins are probably still playing hockey if Marshan scores um, at the end of game five. So Bobrovsky deserves a lot of credit. Kachuk deserves a lot of credit. You know, that's a Florida team that's been, you know, as hard as it is to say, they've been really fun to watch. So um, they are halfway to winning the series. You know, Dallas coming home, being down 2 nothing. Be interesting to see how they respond. That game um, is tomorrow night. So Carolina, Florida, game three tonight, eight o'clock on TNT, and then Vegas and Dallas, game three tomorrow night in Dallas on ESPN. The Maple Leafs parting ways with Kyle Dubas, their general manager. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next for the Maple Leafs. So I think. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about some baseball notes. The Yankees designated designating Aaron Hicks for assignments. He will not be back. Um, and then the Red Sox officially announced that they had released uh, Ryan Brazier, who is uh, one, of the, one of the single members left of the 2018 championship team. I think Chris Sale and Devers are the only guys that are still on the roster that have won that championship. So he obviously been released. You know, I think it makes sense for this team. He kind of been a has had had some pretty poor performances so far this season. Um, so now we're going to take a look at the standings. Uh, believe it or not, the Red Sox are not in last place as much as Dan Shaughnessy wanted want, wants them to be. Um, they are currently in fourth, 26 and 21, a seven and a half games out of first place with Tampa Bay at 34 and 14, and Baltimore at 31 and 16. So they continue to play great baseball. The Yankees have won four in a row, so they are starting to figure it out. They're 29 and 20. Red Sox are two games back at the Yankees, and only one game out of last with the Blue Jays a game behind. The Red Sox in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins, are still in first place, a three-and-a-half game lead over the Detroit Tigers. In the West, Texas has a two-game lead over the Astros, who have started to figure it out. They have won seven consecutive games in nine out of ten, so they are just two games out of first place in the West. Over in the National League, the Braves continue to maintain the lead in the National League East. They're 29 and 17, a five-game lead over the Mets, who have won five in a row but are still five games back of first place in the American League or in the National League Central. Milwaukee is ahead of Pittsburgh by a game. 25 and 21 are the Brewers, and the Pirates just a game behind at 24 and 22. The Dodgers are in first place in the West. 29 and 19 with a game and a half lead over the surprising Arizona Diamondbacks. Red Sox will see them this weekend. Diamondbacks just one and a half games back of the Dodgers. So before we go, take a look at some NFL notes. Uh, it was sad to see that uh, Jim Brown passed away um, over the weekend. Football great. 
you know, legendary activist, um, passed away at age 87. So we're thinking about his family, um, the Steelers coming to terms with Mitch Trubisky on a three, three year deal. So he will be signed for the next three seasons. So I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Um, obviously, a little shorter than usual, but, um, you know, it is what it is. But uh, hopefully everyone is enjoying the nicer weather. It's been getting warmer recently, which has been great. Um, so, you know, as always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, rating, you know, comments, any of that. always appreciate uh, any type of uh, comments that you have, whether you just, you know, want to you know, give a shout out or whatever, um, that would be greatly appreciated. So I uh, will talk to you folks on Friday and have a great rest of your week.